Section 17 of Rome. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please contact LibriVox.org. Rome by Emile Zola. Translated by Ernest Visitelli. Chapter 9, Part 1. That evening at dusk, as Benedetta had sent Pierre word that she desired to see him, he went down to her little salon, and there found her chatting with Celia. "'I've just seen your Pierino, you know,' exclaimed the latter, just as the young priest came in. "'And with Dario, too. Or rather, she must have been watching for him. He found her waiting in a path on the Pincio, and smiled at her. I understood at once. What a beauty she is!' Benedetta smiled at her friend's enthusiasm but her lips twitched somewhat painfully for however sensible she might be this passion which she realized to be so naive and so strong was beginning to make her suffer she certainly made allowances for dario but the girl was too much in love with him and she feared the consequences even in turning the conversation she allowed the secret of her heart to escape her pray sit down monsieur l'abbé she said we are talking scandal you see my poor dario is accused of making love to every pretty woman in rome People say that it's he who gives La Tonietta those white roses which she has been exhibiting at the Corso every afternoon for a fortnight past. That's certain, my dear, retorted Celia impetuously. At first people were in doubt, and talked of little Ponte Corvo and Lieutenant Moretta, but everyone now knows that La Tonietta's caprice is Dario. Besides, he joined her in her box at the Costanzi the other evening. Pierre remembered that the young prince had pointed out La Tonietta at the Pincio one afternoon. She was one of the few demi-mondaines that the higher-class society of Rome took an interest in. For a month or so, the rich Englishman to whom she owned her means had been absent travelling. Ah, resumed Benedetta, whose budding jealousy was entirely confined to La Pierina, so my poor Dario is ruining himself in white roses. Well, I shall have to twit him about it. But one or another of these beauties will end by robbing me of him if our affairs are not soon settled. Fortunately, I have had some better news. Yes, my suit is to be taken in hand again, and my aunt has gone out to-day on that very account. Then, as Victorine came in with a lamp, and Celia rose to depart, Benedetta turned towards Pierre, who also was rising from his chair. Please stay, said she. I wish to speak to you. However, Celia still lingered, interested by the mention of the divorce suit, and eager to know if the cousins would soon be able to marry and at last throwing her arms round benedetta she kissed her passionately so you are hopeful my dear she exclaimed you think that the holy father will give you back your liberty oh i am so pleased it will be so nice for you to marry dario and i'm well pleased on my own account for my father and mother are beginning to yield only yesterday i said to them with that quiet little air of mine i want attilio and you must give him me and then my father flew into a furious passion and upbraided me and shook his fist at me saying that if he'd made my head as hard as his own he would know how to break it my mother was there quite silent and vexed and all at once he turned to her and said here give her that artilio she wants and then perhaps we shall have some peace oh yes i'm well pleased very well pleased indeed as she spoke her pure virginal face beamed with so much innocent celestial joy that pierre and benedetta could not help laughing and at last she went off attended by a maid who had waited for her in the first salon when they were alone benedetta made the priest sit down again i have been asked to give you some important advice my friend she said it seems that the news of your presence in rome is spreading and that bad reports of you are circulated 
your book is said to be a fierce appeal to schism and you were spoken of as a mere ambitious turbulent schismatic after publishing your book in paris you have come to rome it is said to raise a fearful scandal over it in order to make it sell now if you still desire to see his holiness so as to plead your cause before him you are advised to make people forget you to disappear altogether for a fortnight or three weeks pierre was stupefied why they would end by maddening him with all the obstacles they raised to exhaust his patience they would actually implant in him an idea of schism of an avenging liberating scandal he wished to protest and refuse the advice but all at once he made a gesture of weariness what would be the good of it especially with that young woman who was certainly sincere and affectionate who asked you to give me this advice he inquired she did not answer but smiled and with sudden intuition he resumed it was monsignor nani was it not thereupon still unwilling to give a direct reply she began to praise the prelate he had at last consented to guide her in her divorce affair and donna serafina had gone to the palace of the inquisition that very afternoon in order to acquaint him with the result of certain steps she had taken father lorenza the confessor of both the bocanera ladies was to be present for the interview for the idea of the divorce was in reality his own he had urged the two women to it in his eagerness to sever the bond which the patriotic priest pisoni had tied full of such fine illusions benedetta became quite animated as she explained the reasons of her hopefulness monsignor nani can do everything she said and i am very happy that my affair should be in his hands you must be reasonable also my friend do as you are requested i am sure you will some day be well pleased at having taken this advice pierre had bowed his head and remained thoughtful there was nothing unpleasant in the idea of remaining for a few more weeks in rome where day by day his curiosity found so much fresh food of course all these delays were calculated to discourage him and bend his will yet what did he fear since he was still determined to relinquish nothing of his book and to see the holy father for the sole purpose of proclaiming his new faith once more in silence he took that oath then yielded to benedetta's entreaties and as he apologized for being a source of embarrassment in the house she exclaimed no no i am delighted to have you here i fancy that your presence will bring us good fortune now that luck seems to be changing in our favour it was then agreed that he would no longer prowl around st peter's and the vatican where his constant presence must have attracted attention he even promised that he would virtually spend a week indoors desirous as he was of reperusing certain books certain pages of rome's history then he went on chatting for a moment lulled by the peacefulness which reigned around him since the lamp had illumined the salon with its sleepy radiance six o'clock had just struck and outside all was dark wasn't his eminence indisposed to-day the young man asked yes replied the contesina but we are not anxious it is only a little fatigue he sent don vigilio to tell me that he intended to shut himself up in his room and dictate some letters so there can be nothing much the matter you see silence fell again for a while not a sound came from the deserted street or the old empty mansion mute and dreamy like a tomb but all at once the soft somnolence instinct with all the sweetness of a dream of hope was disturbed by a tempestuous entry a whirl of skirts a gasp of terror it was victorine who had gone off after bringing the lamp but now returned scared and breathless contesina contesina benedetta had risen suddenly quite white and cold as at the advent of a blast of misfortune what what is it why do you run and tremble she asked dario monsieur dario down below i went down to see if the lantern in the porch were alight 
as it is so often forgotten and in the dark in the porch i stumbled against monsieur dario he is on the ground he has a knife thrust somewhere a cry leapt from the amorosa's heart dead no no wounded but benedetta did not hear in a louder and louder voice she cried dead dead no no i tell you he spoke to me and for heaven's sake be quiet he silenced me because he did not want any one to know he told me to come and fetch you only you however as monsieur l'abbé is here he had better help us we shall be none too many pierre listened also quite aghast and when victorine wished to take the lamp her trembling hand with which she had no doubt felt the prostrate body was seen to be quite bloody the sight filled benedetta with so much horror that she again began to moan wildly be quiet be quiet repeated victorine we ought not to make any noise in going down i shall take the lamp because we must at all events be able to see now quick quick across the porch just at the entrance of the vestibule dario lay prone upon the slabs as if after being stabbed in the street he had only had sufficient strength to take a few steps before falling and he had just fainted and lay there with his face very pale his lips compressed and his eyes closed benedetta recovering the energy of her race amidst her excessive grief no longer lamented or cried out but gazed at him with wild tearless dilated eyes as though unable to understand the horror of it all was the suddenness and mysteriousness of the catastrophe the why and wherefore of this murderous attempt amidst the silence of the old deserted palace black with the shades of night the wound had as yet bled but little for only the prince's clothes were stained quick quick repeated victorine in an undertone after lowering the lamp and moving it around the porter isn't there he's always at the carpenter's next door and you see that he hasn't yet lighted the lantern still he may come back at any moment so the abbe and i will carry the prince into his room at once she alone retained her head like a woman of well-balanced mind and quiet activity the two others whose stupor continued listened to her and obeyed her with the docility of children contesina she continued you must light us here take the lamp and lower it a little so that we may see the steps you abbe take the feet i'll take hold of him under the armpits and don't be alarmed the poor dear fellow isn't heavy ah that ascent of the monumental staircase with its low steps and its landings as spacious as guard rooms they facilitated the cruel journey but how lugubrious looked the little cortege under the flickering glimmer of the lamp which benedetta held with arm outstretched stiffened by determination and still not a sound came from the old lifeless dwelling nothing but the silent crumbling of the walls the slow decay which was making the ceilings crack victorine continued to whisper words of advice whilst pierre afraid of slipping on the shiny slabs put forth an excess of strength which made his breath come short huge wild shadows danced over the big expanse of bare wall up to the very vaults decorated with sunken panels so endless seemed the ascent that at last a halt became necessary but the slow march was soon resumed fortunately dario's apartments bedchamber dressing-room and sitting-room were on the first floor adjoining those of the cardinal in the wing facing the tiber so on reaching the landing they only had to walk softly along the corridor and at last to their great relief laid the wounded man upon his bed victorine vented her satisfaction in a light laugh that's done said she put the lamp on that table contesina i'm sure nobody heard us it's lucky that donna serafina should have gone out and that his eminence should have shut himself up with don vigilio i wrapped my skirt round monsieur dario's shoulders you know so i don't think any blood fell on the stairs 
by and by too i'll go down with a sponge and wipe the slabs in the porch she stopped short looked at dario and then quickly added he's breathing now i'll leave you both to watch over him while i go for good dr giordano who saw you come into the world contesina he's a man to be trusted alone with the unconscious sufferer in that dim chamber which seemed to quiver with the frightful horror that filled their hearts benedetta and pierre remained on either side of the bed as yet unable to exchange a word the young woman first opened her arms and wrung her hands whilst giving vent to a hollow moan as if to relieve and exhale her grief and then leaning forward she watched for some sign of life on that pale face whose eyes were closed dario was certainly breathing but his respiration was slow and very faint and some time went by before a touch of colour returned to his cheeks at last however he opened his eyes and then she at once took hold of his hand and pressed it instilling into the pressure all the anguish of her heart great was her happiness on feeling that he feebly returned the clasp tell me she said you can see me and hear me can't you what has happened good god he did not at first answer being worried by the presence of pierre on recognizing the young priest however he seemed content that he should be there and then glanced apprehensively round the room to see if there were anybody else and at last he murmured no one saw me no one knows no no be easy we carried you up with victorine without meeting a soul aunt has just gone out uncle is shut up in his rooms at this dario seemed relieved and he even smiled i don't want anybody to know it is so stupid he murmured but in god's name what has happened she again asked him ah i don't know i don't know was his response as he lowered his eyelids with a weary air as if to escape the question but he must have realized that it was best for him to confess some portion of the truth at once for he resumed a man was hidden in the shadow of the porch he must have been waiting for me and so when i came in he dug his knife into my shoulder there forthwith she again leant over him quivering and gazing into the depths of his eyes but who was the man who was he she asked then as he in a yet more weary way began to stammer that he didn't know that the man had fled into the darkness before he could recognize him she raised a terrible cry it was prada it was prada confess it i know it already and quite delirious she went on i tell you that i know it ah i would not be his and he is determined that we shall never belong to one another rather than have that he will kill you on the day when i am free to be your wife oh i know him well i shall never never be happy yes i know it well it was prada prada but sudden energy upbuoyed the wounded man and he loyally protested no no it was not prada nor was it any one working for him that i swear to you i did not recognize the man but it wasn't prada no no there was such a ring of truth in dario's words that benedetta must have been convinced by them but terror once more overpowered her for the hand she held was suddenly growing soft moist and powerless exhausted by his effort dario had fallen back again fainting his face quite white and his eyes closed and it seemed to her that he was dying distracted by her anguish she felt him with trembling groping hands look look monsieur abbe she exclaimed but he is dying he is dying he is already quite cold ah god of heaven he is dying pierre terribly upset by her cries sought to reassure her saying he spoke too much he has lost consciousness as he did before but i assure you that i can feel his heart beating here put your hand here contesina for mercy's sake don't distress yourself like that the doctor will soon be here and everything will be all right 
but she did not listen to him and all at once he was lost in amazement for she flung herself upon the body of the man she adored caught it in a frantic embrace bathed it with tears and covered it with kisses whilst stammering words of fire ah if i were to lose you if i were to lose you and to think that i repulsed you that i would not accept happiness when it was yet possible yes that idea of mine that vow i made to the madonna yet how could she be offended by our happiness and then and then if she has deceived me if she takes you from me ah then i can have but one regret that i did not damn myself with you yes yes damnation rather than that we should never never be each other's was this the woman who had shown herself so calm so sensible so patient the better to ensure her happiness pierre was terrified and no longer recognized her he had hitherto seen her so reserved so modest with a childish charm that seemed to come from her very nature but under the threatening blow she feared the terrible blood of the bocaneras had awoken within her with a long heredity of violence pride frantic and exasperated longings she wished for her share of life her share of love and she moaned and she clamoured as if death in taking her lover from her were tearing away some of her own flesh calm yourself i entreat you madame repeated the priest he is alive his heart beats you are doing yourself great harm but she wished to die with her lover oh my darling if you must go take me take me with you i will lay myself on your heart i will clasp you so tightly with my arms that they shall be joined to yours and then we must needs be buried together yes yes we shall be dead and we shall be wedded all the same wedded in death i promised that i would belong to none but you and i will be yours in spite of everything even in the grave oh my darling open your eyes open your mouth kiss me if you don't want me to die as soon as you are dead a blaze of wild passion full of blood and fire had passed through that mournful chamber with old sleepy walls but tears were now overcoming benedetta and big gasping sobs at last threw her blinded and strengthless on the edge of the bed Unfortunately, an end was put to the terrible scene by the arrival of the doctor whom Victorine had fetched. Dr. Giordano was a little old man of over sixty, with white curly hair and fresh-looking clean-shaven countenance. By long practice among churchmen he had acquired the paternal appearance and manner of an amiable prelate. And he was said to be a very worthy man, tending the poor for nothing and displaying ecclesiastical reserve and discretion in all delicate cases. For thirty years past the whole bocanera family children women and even the most eminent cardinal himself had in all cases of sickness been placed in the hands of this prudent practitioner lighted by victorine and helped by pierre he undressed dario who was roused from his swoon by pain and after examining the wound he declared with a smile that it was not at all dangerous the young prince would at the utmost have to spend three weeks in bed and no complications were to be feared then like all the doctors of rome enamoured of the fine thrusts and cuts which day by day they have to dress among chance patients of the lower classes he complacently lingered over the wound doubtless regarding it as a clever piece of work for he ended by saying to the prince in an undertone that's what we call a warning the man didn't want to kill the blow was dealt downwards so that the knife might slip through the flesh without touching the bone ah a man really needs to be skilful to deal such a stab it was very neatly done yes yes murmured dario he spared me had he chosen he could have pierced me through benedetta did not hear since the doctor had declared the case to be free from danger and had explained that the fainting fits were due to nervous shock she had fallen in a chair quite prostrated 
gradually however some gentle tears coursed from her eyes bringing relief after her frightful despair and then rising to her feet she came and kissed dario with mute and passionate delight i say my dear doctor resumed the prince it's useless for people to know of this it's so ridiculous nobody has seen anything it seems excepting monsieur l'abbé whom i asked to keep the matter secret and in particular i don't want anybody to alarm the cardinal or my aunt or indeed any of our friends dr giordano indulged in one of his placid smiles very good said he that's natural don't worry yourself we will say that you have had a fall on the stairs and have dislocated your shoulder and now that the wound is dressed you must try to sleep and don't get feverish i will come back tomorrow morning that evening of excitement was followed by some very tranquil days and a new life began for pierre who at first remained indoors reading and writing with no other recreation than that of spending his afternoons in dario's room where he was certain to find benedetta after a somewhat intense fever lasting for eight and forty hours cure took its usual course and the story of the dislocated shoulder was so generally believed that the cardinal insisted on donna seraphina departing from her habits of strict economy to have a second lantern lighted on the landing in order that no such accident might occur again and then the monotonous peacefulness was only disturbed by a final incident a threat of trouble as it were with which pierre found himself mixed up one evening when he was lingering beside the convalescent patient benedetta had absented herself for a few minutes and as victorine who had brought up some broth was leaning towards the prince to take the empty cup from him she said in a low voice there's a girl monsieur la pierina who comes here every day crying and asking for news of you i can't get rid of her she's always prowling about the place so i thought it best to tell you of it unintentionally pierre heard her and understood everything dario who was looking at him at once guessed his thoughts and without answering victorine exclaimed yes abbe it was that brute tito how idiotic eh at the same time although the young man protested that he had done nothing whatever for the girl's brother to give him such a warning he smiled in an embarrassed way as if vexed and even somewhat ashamed of being mixed up in an affair of the kind and he was evidently relieved when the priest promised that he would see the girl should she come back and make her understand that she ought to remain at home it was such a stupid affair the prince repeated with an exaggerated show of anger such things are not of our times but all at once he ceased speaking for benedetta entered the room she sat down again beside her dear patient and the sweet peaceful evening then took its course in the old sleepy chamber the old lifeless palace whence never a sound arose when pierre began to go out again he at first merely took a brief airing in the district the via giulia interested him for he knew how splendid it had been in the time of julius the second who had dreamt of lining it with sumptuous palaces horse and foot races then took place there during the carnival the palazzo farnese being the starting point and the piazza of st peter's the goal pierre had also lately read that a french ambassador d'estrée marquis de Curé, had resided at the palazzo sacchetti and in sixteen thirty eight had given some magnificent entertainments in honour of the birth of the dauphin when on three successive days there had been racing from the ponte sisto to san giovanni dei fiorentini amidst an extraordinary display of sumptuosity the street being strewn with flowers and rich hangings adorning every window on the second evening there had been fireworks on the tiber with a machine representing the ship argo carrying jason and his companions to the recovery of the golden fleece and on another occasion the farnese fountain the mascherone had flowed with wine 
nowadays however all was changed the street bright with sunshine or steeped in shadow according to the hour was ever silent and deserted the heavy ancient palatial houses their old doors studded with plates and nails their windows barred with huge iron gratings always seemed to be asleep whole stories showing nothing but closed shutters as if to keep out the daylight for evermore now and again when a door was opened you espied deep vaults damp cold courts green with mildew and encompassed by colonnades like cloisters then in the outbuildings of the mansions the low structures which had collected more particularly on the side of the tiber various small silent shops had installed themselves there was a baker's a tailor's and a bookbinder's some fruiterers shops with a few tomatoes and salad plants set out on boards and some wine shops which claimed to sell the vintages of frascati and genzano but whose customers seemed to be dead midway along the street was a modern prison whose horrid yellow wall in no wise enlivened the scene whilst overhead a flight of telegraph wires stretched from the arcades of the farnese palace to the distant vista of trees beyond the river with its infrequent traffic the street even in the daytime was like some sepulchral corridor where the past was crumbling into dust and when night fell its desolation quite appalled pierre you did not meet a soul you did not see a light in any window and the glimmering gas lamps few and far between seemed powerless to pierce the gloom on either hand the doors were barred and bolted and not a sound not a breath came from within even when after a long interval you passed a lighted wine shop behind whose panes of frosted glass a lamp gleamed dim and motionless not an exclamation not a suspicion of a laugh ever reached your ear there was nothing alive save the two sentries placed outside the prison one before the entrance and the other at the corner of the right-hand lane and they remained erect and still coagulated as it were in that dead street pierre's interest however was not merely confined to the via giulia it extended to the whole district once so fine and fashionable but now fallen into sad decay far removed from modern life and exhaling a faint musty odour of monasticism towards san giovanni dei fiorentini where the new corso vittorio emanuele had ripped up every olden district the lofty five-storied houses with their dazzling sculptured fronts contrasted violently with the black sunken dwellings of the neighbouring lanes in the evening the globes of the electric lamps on the corso shone out with such dazzling whiteness that the gas lamps of the via giulia and other streets looked like smoky lanterns there were several old and famous thoroughfares the via banchi vecchi the via del bellegrino the via di monserrato and an infinity of cross streets which intersected and connected the others all going towards the tiber and for the most part so narrow that vehicles scarcely had room to pass and each street had its church a multitude of churches all more or less alike highly decorated gilded and painted and open only at service time when they were full of sunlight and incense in the via giulia in addition to san giovanni dei fiorentini san biagio della pagnota san eligio degli orefici and three or four others there was the so-called church of the dead santa maria dell'orazione and this church which is at the lower end and behind the farnese palace was often visited by pierre who liked to dream there of the wild life of rome and of the pious brothers of the confraternita della morte who officiate there and whose mission is to search for and bury such poor outcasts as die in the campagna one evening he was present at the funeral of two unknown men whose bodies after remaining unburied for quite a fortnight had been discovered in a field near the appian way however pierre's favourite promenade soon became the new quay of the tiber beyond the palazzo bocconera he had merely to take the narrow lane skirting the mansion to reach a spot where he found much food for reflection 
although the key was not yet finished the work seemed to be quite abandoned there were heaps of rubbish blocks of stone broken fences and dilapidated tool sheds all around to such a height had it been necessary to carry the key walls designed to protect the city from floods for the river bed had been rising for centuries past that the old terrace of the bocanera gardens with its double flight of steps to which pleasure boats had once been moored now lay in a hollow threatened with annihilation whenever the works should be finished but nothing had yet been levelled the soil brought thither for making up the bank lay as it had fallen from the carts and on all sides were pits and mounds interspersed with the abandoned building materials wretched urchins came to play there workmen without work slept in the sunshine and women after washing ragged linen spread it out to dry upon the stones nevertheless the spot proved a happy peaceful refuge for pierre one fruitful in inexhaustible reveries when for hours at a time he lingered gazing at the river the quays and the city stretching in front of him and on either hand at eight in the morning the sun already gilded the vast opening on turning to the left he perceived the roofs of the trastevere of a misty bluish grey against the dazzling sky then just beyond the apse of san giovanni on the right the river curved and on its other bank the poplars of the ospedale di santo spirito formed a green curtain while the castle of sant'angelo showed brightly in the distance but pierre's eyes dwelt more particularly on the bank just in front of him for there he found some lingering vestiges of old rome on that side indeed between the ponte sisto and the ponte sant'angelo the quays which were to imprison the river within high white fortress-like walls had not yet been raised and the bank with its remnants of the old papal city conjured up an extraordinary vision of the middle ages the houses descending to the river brink were cracked scorched rusted by innumerable burning summers like so many antique bronzes down below there were black vaults into which the water flowed piles upholding walls and fragments of roman stonework plunging into the river bed then rising from the shore came steep broken stairways green with moisture tiers of terraces stories with tiny windows pierced here and there in haphazard fashion houses perched atop of other houses and the whole jumbled together with a fantastic commingling of balconies and wooden galleries footbridges spanning courtyards clumps of trees growing apparently on the very roofs and attics rising from amidst pinky tiles the contents of a drain fell noisily into the river from a worn and soiled gorge of stone and wherever the houses stood back and the bank appeared it was covered with wild vegetation weeds shrubs and mantling ivy which trailed like a kingly robe of state and in the glory of the sun the wretchedness and dirt vanished the crooked jumbled houses seemed to be of gold draped with the purple of the red petticoats and the dazzling white of the shifts which hung drying from their windows while higher still above the district the geniculum rose into all the luminary's dazzlement uprearing the slender profile of Santo Onofrio amidst cypresses and pines leaning on the parapet of the quay wall pierre sadly gazed at the tiber for hours at a time nothing could convey an idea of the weariness of those old waters the mournful slowness of their flow along that babylonian trench where they were confined within huge bare livid prison-like walls in the sunlight their yellowness was gilded and the faint quiver of the current brought ripples of green and blue but as soon as the shade spread over it the stream became opaque like mud so turbid in its venerable old age that it no longer even gave back a reflection of the houses lining it and how desolate was its abandonment what a stream of silence and solitude it was after the winter rains it might roll furiously and threateningly but during the long months of bright weather it traversed rome without a sound and pierre could remain there all day long without seeing either a skiff or a sail 
the two or three little steamboats which arrived from the coast the few tartans which brought wine from sicily never came higher than the aventine beyond which there was only a watery desert in which here and there at long intervals a motionless angler let his line dangle all that pierre ever saw in the way of shipping was a sort of ancient covered pinnace a rotting noah's ark moored on the right beside the old bank and he fancied that it might be used as a wash-house though on no occasion did he see any one in it and on a neck of mud there also lay a stranded boat with one side broken in a lamentable symbol of the impossibility in the relinquishment of navigation ah that decay of the river that decay of father tiber as dead as the famous ruins whose dust he is weary of laving and what an evocation all the centuries of history so many things so many men that those yellow waters have reflected till full of lassitude and disgust they have grown heavy silent and deserted longing only for annihilation one morning on the river-bank pierre found la pierina standing behind an abandoned tool-shed with her neck extended she was looking fixedly at the window of dario's room at the corner of the quay and the lane doubtless she had been frightened by victorine's severe reception and had not dared to return to the mansion but some servant possibly had told her which was the young prince's window and so she now came to this spot where without wearying she waited for a glimpse of the man she loved for some sign of life and salvation the mere hope of which made her heart leap deeply touched by the way in which she hid herself all humility and quivering with adoration the priest approached her and instead of scolding her and driving her away as he had been asked to do spoke to her in a gentle cheerful manner asking her for news of her people as though nothing had happened and at last contriving to mention dario's name in order that she might understand that he would be up and about again within a fortnight on perceiving pierre la pierina had started with timidity and distrust as if anxious to flee but when she understood him tears of happiness gushed from her eyes and with a bright smile she kissed her hand to him calling grazie grazie thanks thanks and thereupon she darted away and he never saw her again on another morning at an early hour as pierre was going to say mass at santa brigida on the piazza farnese he was surprised to see benedetta coming out of the church and carrying a small phial of oil she evinced no embarrassment but frankly told him that every two or three days she went thither to obtain from the beadle a few drops of the oil used for the lamp that burnt before an antique wooden statue of the madonna in which she had perfect confidence she even confessed that she had never had confidence in any other madonna having never obtained anything from any other though she had prayed to several of high repute madonnas of marble and even of silver and so her heart was full of ardent devotion for the holy image which refused her nothing and she declared in all simplicity as though the matter were quite natural and above discussion that the few drops of oil which she applied morning and evening to dario's wound were alone working his cure so speedy a cure as to be quite miraculous pierre fairly aghast distressed indeed to find such childish superstitious notions in one so full of sense and grace and passion did not even venture to smile in the evenings when he came back from his strolls and spent an hour or so in dario's room he would for a time divert the patient by relating what he had done and seen and thought of during the day and when he again ventured to stray beyond the district and became enamoured of the lovely gardens of rome which he visited as soon as they opened in the morning in order that he might be virtually alone he delighted the young prince and benedetta with his enthusiasm his rapturous passion for the splendid trees the plashing water and the spreading terraces whence the views were so sublime it was not the most extensive of these gardens which the more deeply impressed his heart in the grounds of the villa borghese the little roman bois de boulogne 
there were certainly some majestic clumps of greenery some regal avenues where carriages took a turn in the afternoon before the obligatory drive to the pincio but pierre was more touched by the reserved garden of the villa that villa dazzling with marble and now containing one of the finest museums in the world there was a simple lawn of fine grass with a vast central basin surmounted by a figure of venus nude and white and antique fragments vases statues columns and sarcophagi were ranged symmetrically all around the deserted sunlit yet melancholy sward on returning on one occasion to the pincio pierre spent a delightful morning there penetrated by the charm of this little nook with its scanty evergreens and its admirable vista of all rome and st peter's rising up afar off in the soft limpid radiance at the villa albani and the villa pamphili he again came upon superb parasol pines tall stately and graceful and powerful elm trees with twisted limbs and dusky foliage in the pamphili grounds the elm trees steeped the paths in a delicious half-light the lake with its weeping willows and tufts of reeds had a dreamy aspect while down below the parterre displayed a fantastic floral mosaic bright with the various hues of flowers and foliage that which most particularly struck pierre however in this the noblest most spacious and most carefully tended garden of rome was the novel and unexpected view that he suddenly obtained of st peter's whilst skirting a low wall a view whose symbolism forever clung to him rome had completely vanished and between the slopes of monte mario and another wooded height which hid the city there only appeared the colossal dome which seemed to be poised on an infinity of scattered blocks now white now red these were the houses of the borgo the jumbled piles of the vatican and the basilica which the huge dome surmounted and annihilated showing greyly blue in the light blue of the heavens whilst far away stretched a delicate boundless vista of the campagna likewise of a bluish tint it was however more particularly in the less sumptuous gardens those of a more homely grace that pierre realized that even things have souls ah that villa matei on one side of the celius with its terraced grounds its sloping alleys edged with laurel aloe and spindle tree its box plants forming arbors its oranges its roses and its fountains pierre spent some delicious hours there and only found a similar charm on visiting the aventine where three churches are embowered in verdure the little garden of santa sabina the birthplace of the dominican order is closed on all sides and affords no view it slumbers in quiescence warm and perfumed by its orange trees amongst which that planted by st dominic stands huge and gnarled but still laden with ripe fruit at the adjoining priorato however the garden perched high above the tiber overlooks a vast expanse with the river and the buildings on either bank as far as the summit of the janiculum and in these gardens of rome pierre ever found the same clipped box shrubs the same eucalypti with white trunks and pale leaves long like hair the same ilex trees squat and dusky the same giant pines the same black cypresses the same marbles whitening amidst tufts of roses and the same fountains gurgling under mantling ivy never did he enjoy more gentle sorrow-tinged delight than at the villa of pope julius where all the life of a gay and sensual period is suggested by the semicircular porticus opening on the gardens a porticus decorated with paintings golden trellis work laden with flowers amidst which flutter flights of smiling cupids then on the evening when he returned from the farnesina he declared that he had brought all the dead soul of ancient rome away with him 
and it was not the paintings executed after raffaele's designs that had touched him it was rather the pretty hall on the riverside decorated in soft blue and pink and lilac with an art devoid of genius yet so charming and so roman and in particular it was the abandoned garden once stretching down to the tiber and now shut off from it by the new quay and presenting an aspect of woeful desolation ravaged bossy and weedy like a cemetery albeit the golden fruit of orange and citron trees still ripened there and for the last time a shock came to pierre's heart on the lovely evening when he visited the villa medici there he was on french soil and again what a marvellous garden he found with box plants and pines and avenues full of magnificence and charm what a refuge for antique reverie was that wood of ilex trees so old and so sombre where the sun in declining cast fiery gleams of red gold amidst the sheeny bronze of the foliage you ascend by endless steps and from the crowning belvedere on high you embrace all rome at a glance as though by opening your arms you could seize it in its entirety from the villa's dining-room decorated with portraits of all the artists who have successively sojourned there and from the spacious peaceful library one beholds the same splendid broad all-conquering panorama a panorama of unlimited ambition whose infinite ought to set in the hearts of the young men dwelling there a determination to subjugate the world pierre who came thither opposed to the principle of the prix de rome that traditional uniform education so dangerous for originality was for a moment charmed by the warm peacefulness the limpid solitude of the garden and the sublime horizon where the wings of genius seemed to flutter ah how delightful to be only twenty and to live for three years amidst such infinite sweetness encompassed by the finest works of man to say to oneself that one is as yet too young to produce and to reflect and seek and learn how to enjoy suffer and love but pierre afterwards reflected that this was not a fit task for youth and that to appreciate the divine enjoyment of such a retreat all art and blue sky ripe age was needed age with victories already gained and weariness following upon the accomplishment of work he chatted with some of the young pensioners and remarked that if those who were inclined to dreaminess and contemplation like those who could merely claim mediocrity accommodated themselves to this life cloistered in the art of the past on the other hand artists of active bent and personal temperament pined with impatience their eyes ever turned towards paris their souls eager to plunge into the furnace of battle and production all those gardens of which pierre spoke to dario and benedetta with so much rapture awoke within them the memory of the garden of the villa montefiori now a waste but once so green planted with the finest orange trees of rome a grove of centenarian orange trees where they had learnt to love one another and the memory of their early love brought thoughts of their present situation and their future prospects to these the conversation always reverted and evening after evening pierre witnessed their delight and heard them talk of coming happiness like lovers transported to the seventh heaven the suit for the dissolution of benedetta's marriage was now assuming a more and more favourable aspect guided by a powerful hand donna seraphina was apparently acting very vigorously for almost every day she had some further good news to report she was indeed anxious to finish the affair both for the continuity and for the honour of the name for on the one hand dario refused to marry any one but his cousin and on the other this marriage would explain everything and put an end to an intolerable situation the scandalous rumours which circulated both in the white and the black world quite incensed her and a victory was the more necessary as leo thirteen already so aged might be snatched away at any moment and in the conclave which would follow she desired that her brother's name should shine forth with untarnished sovereign radiance 
never had the secret ambition of her life the hope that her race might give a third pope to the church filled her with so much passion it was as if she therein sought a consolation for the harsh abandonment of advocate morano invariably clad in sombre garb ever active and slim so tightly laced that from behind one might have taken her for a young girl she was so to say the black soul of that old palace and pierre who met her everywhere prowling and inspecting like a careful housekeeper and jealously watching over her brother the cardinal bowed to her in silence chilled to the heart by the stern look of her withered wrinkled face in which was set the large opinionative nose of her family however she barely returned his bows for she still disdained that paltry foreign priest and only tolerated him in order to please monsignor nani and viscount philibert de la choux a witness every evening of the anxious delight and impatience of benedetta and dario pierre by degrees became almost as impassioned as themselves as desirous for an early solution benedetta's suit was about to come before the congregation of the council once more monsignor palma the defender of the marriage had demanded a supplementary inquiry after the favourable decision arrived at in the first instance by a bare majority of one vote a majority which the pope would certainly not have thought sufficient had he been asked for his ratification so the question now was to gain votes among the ten cardinals who formed the congregation to persuade and convince them and if possible ensure an almost unanimous pronouncement the task was arduous for instead of facilitating matters benedetta's relationship to cardinal boccanera raised many difficulties owing to the intriguing spirit rife at the vatican the spite of rivals who by perpetuating the scandal hoped to destroy boccanera's chance of ever attaining to the papacy every afternoon however donna seraphina devoted herself to the task of winning votes under the direction of her confessor father lorenza whom she saw daily at the collegio germanico now the last refuge of the jesuits in rome for they have ceased to be masters of the jesu the chief hope of success lay in prada's formal declaration that he would not put in an appearance the whole affair wearied and irritated him the imputations levelled against him as a man seemed to him supremely odious and ridiculous and he no longer even took the trouble to reply to the assignations which were sent to him he acted indeed as if he had never been married though deep in his heart the wound dealt to his passion and his pride still lingered bleeding afresh whenever one or another of the scandalous rumours in circulation reached his ears however as their adversary desisted from all action one can understand that the hopes of benedetta and dario increased the more so as hardly an evening passed without donna seraphina telling them that she believed she had gained the support of another cardinal End of section 17